0: I'm awesome. Hello, 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 Miami Dolphin fans, and welcome to the Same Old Dolphin Show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Well, Brain, the Miami Dolphins are 0-6. They lost to the Buffalo Bills 31-21. to in Buffalo. And quite frankly, when the Dolphins signed Ryan Fitzpatrick this offseason, and we knew that the tank was going to be on, the thing that you sort of hoped for was this kind of football game, where for a good chunk of the game, the Dolphins looked like a competent football team. They were able to make some plays on offense. They were able to make some plays on defense. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, they fell short. And that's exactly what happened here. The Dolphins played pretty well, I would say, pretty much up until the end of that first drive in the third quarter, where the Dolphins basically did it had a 10-minute drive to start the second half, drove all the way down the field, and then including a fake field goal to run for a yard on fourth and one before Ryan Fitzpatrick throws an interception at the one-yard line. And basically from that point on... It was the Bills game to win, because at that point, the Bills sort of took over offensively and the Dolphins' ineptitude sort of shone through. The Dolphins added a touchdown late, but were unable to recover the onside kick. Actually, incredibly, they gave up a touchdown on the onside kick, which is not a play that you see a whole lot of, but um, Minka Hyde recovered the onside kick and took it all the way to the house. For a touchdown. So the Dolphins end up falling to the Bills 31 to 21. They find themselves at 0-6. That's six down, ten more to go.
1: We are 37.25% of the way there.
0: Wow. That's amazing. That's good math. Yeah. The Dolphins We're right there. And for a, for a moment this afternoon, it seemed like maybe the Dolphins would be the only winless team left in the NFL, but The Cincinnati Bengals, after taking a a second-half lead over the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, and being right in the thick of things in that game, but then Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton, and the Bengals ended up falling short in their game. So the Dolphins and Bengals remain the two winless teams in the NFL. The Bengals, I believe, are 0-7, as they have not yet had their bye week. Dolphins, of course, at 0-6, but it's okay. Here we are. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward. I guess we'll talk about Tua because, I mean, I guess you sort of have to, especially, you know, in light of his injury this weekend, it wasn't a serious injury. If, of course, if you're a Dolphin fan and you haven't heard about this by now, I don't know what you're doing. But and and we'll we'll talk a little bit about Tua here shortly. But let's let's stay focused on the game here, Brian. Let's first talk about your positives. Um, I think. The biggest positive as you're watching this game as a Miami Dolphin fan is that this was the first time this season that, you know, I mean, really, I mean, I guess you could also say the end of that that game against Washington, but this was the first time that for an entire half of football starting, at, you know, coming out of the gates, the Dolphins looked like a competent football team on offense. They This was really, um, I think, a pretty good performance, about as good as you could expect. From this Dolphins offense led by Ryan Fitzpatrick. His numbers in this game, 23 of 35 for 282 yards, a touchdown and a pick. He also ran for a touchdown. I don't know. I mean, I look at this and if the nail's not in the coffin for, for Josh Rosen, he's in the coffin and the, the, the lid is closed. This was a very solid performance by Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, and I, I think that's kind of where you have to start.
1: Well, yeah, it was – it's not – it shouldn't have been surprising. The team got a spark from Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think this was – that first half of the game was probably the best half of football that the Dolphins have played all year. Um, Offensively, you could make – I mean you could make an argument for the first half against the Cowboys – and then just say, well, look, if we if we don't fumble the ball at the one-yard line or, or drop a touchdown pass and things like that, uh, there were signs in that Dallas game. But certainly since that Dallas game, uh, this was the best that the Dolphins have looked. And I would say as a whole, on both sides of the ball, this was as good as the Dolphins have played all year long. Uh, you can make a case for the game last week and say, well, hey, the defense kept them in it and they had a chance to win it at the end. That's true, uh, but really, that game looked lost until the last two quarters. This was a game where the Dolphins were in it and playing hard, and it was a competitive football game really the entire way through, and you can make the argument that the Dolphins outplayed the Bills in this game, but the difference in the game were the two turnovers. Uh, I think it was a pretty evenly matched game, And the difference in the game was the two turnovers. Uh, But look, Ryan Fitzpatrick did everything that you want to do. It's really nice to see the offense look competent. It's nice to see uh, what the offense can look like when you are getting decent protection, a solid running game, and uh, a quarterback that's delivering the ball on time. Look, nobody's going to confuse this. Dolphins offense for the greatest show on turf or that Patriots offense from 2007 or whatever but it's still it's nice to see some competence as far as the other side of the ball there's a lot of work to be done but they lost this game not because they didn't play well Uh they lost well, I mean the turnovers are one thing, and it it I'll 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 kind of touch on that because there's a suspicious nature of the fact that the, the Dolphins seem to turn the ball over or drop balls at the most inopportune times at the most crucial moments of the game, and it's very interesting uh to say the least. But uh but as far as just looking at the positives, uh look, the offensive line played better in this game. Obviously, the quarterback play was good. Preston Williams and Devontae Parker both making an impact in the receiving game. Mike Kosicki for the second week in a row making an impact in the receiving game. And Mark Walton uh running the ball, showing some explosiveness, showing a little bit of wiggle. Uh There was... There was plenty to be positive about. And then on the defensive side of the ball, at least in the first half, uh, the Dolphins to a T kind of did that, that Patriots bend, but don't break defense. Um, they, that they've made famous over the past 15 years or so. Uh, but. I'm sure you want to look at the negatives as well. There there are some negatives. We'll get there in a certainly second. On the we'll get defense. there in a
0: second. We'll get there okay. shortly. Uh but let's stay in the positives here. I thought it was really nice to see Gesicki get implemented. I, it appeared that he and Rosen were not on the same page and so he was certainly benefiting from the fact that um that Fitzpatrick was back in at quarterback. Um it was nice to see uh Alan Hearns had some receptions in in garbage time. It was really great to see Preston Williams. I mean, he seems to be the best rookie on this team, and and he was a guy who came in undrafted. So I I think just very positive signs there on the offensive side of the ball. As you mentioned, Mark Walton, I think, really starting to move into a position as the featured back for, for the Miami Dolphins. He ended up with 14 carries, 66 yards. Kenyon Drake only had six carries for 21 yards. Uh, and then Kalen Delage who's really just kind of a short yardage back at this point. He actually did have that, that touchdown um, in the first half. But yeah, I just was really pleased with the progression of the offense. And it was nice to see. I think this game was probably one of... Some of the best that we've seen Gesicki look, at least as, as far as a receiver. And so it's nice to see some sort of chemistry developing between him and Fitzpatrick, Preston Williams as well. Uh, yeah, just a, a, a solid game all around from the offense, which is kind of refreshing for this team that has struggled for so long. I mean, you know, that, that first touchdown drive for the Dolphins is so impressive. I mean, and you know, listen, that start of the second half, it was, the drive ended with an interception but that's a 10 minute 16 play drive that the dolphins put together and obviously it, it, you know it does it's not good that it didn't end in points but i think it's a very positive sign moving forward that the dolphins were able to really compete with a buffalo bills team that is certainly not a pushover This season. So I think positive signs all around there on the offensive side of the ball. But as you mentioned, there are some negatives. And I think if we're going to talk about negatives in this game, I think we have to start with Christian Wilkins, who's ejected after the first play from scrimmage for throwing a punch. I, I, it's a negative because obviously you know you don't wanna, you, you want to you don't want to have players that are losing their cool to that degree especially right at the beginning of the game it's certainly a good thing to have fire it's a good thing to have fight and we know that Christian Wilkins is a big character he's a guy with a lot of energy he's a guy that has a lot to give but you got to get it under control and he really ha- he really kind of put his team under the eight ball by getting himself ejected on the first play from scrimmage. you got to get that under control, and I'm sure he's going to hear about it. Um, All things considered, the Dolphins recovered from that pretty well, but that was a a pretty big negative in this game. What are some other negatives that you felt in this game?
1: Uh, I just feel like the defensive line in general got really pushed around in this one, especially uh, defending the run. Uh, We knew that Buffalo was going to try to to kind of ground and pound and, and take, uh, you know, try to win this game at the line of scrimmage by, by running the ball, uh, because the Dolphins haven't been very successful at stopping it. We got a lot of those designed runs that you called for, uh, from Josh Allen, but just the number of times that they just kind of, whether they ran off tackle or off guard, uh, and just, just big holes and Frank Gore just, getting six, seven, eight yards before really any contact was initiated. Um, That was disappointing. Obviously, Christian Wilkins getting ejected, you know, probably plays into that a little bit. But outside of that, I mean, look, Josh Allen throws a couple of touchdown passes. It's obvious Nick Needham can't cover John Brown. You're you're without Xavier Howard. I think this is the second week in a row where you watch this game and you say, well, if Xavier Howard plays in this game, do the Dolphins win? I think last week for sure. This week, I don't know because the turnovers probably still could have been too much to overcome. But if Xavier Howard's playing in this game, I I don't know that the Bills are getting anything going in the passing game because they really, it was, it was kind of, of a stagnant passing attack. It was just a couple of big plays here and there. And, and then that was, that was all it took. Uh So, I mean, you're, you're not expecting a lot out of the secondary when Rashad Jones doesn't play and Xavier Howard doesn't play. Uh But, but you, you gotta be better against, against the run. But again, it's just, that's where this team is, is weak right now. they, They've got really no run stopping defensive ends and you take Christian Wilkins out of the equation and it, it puts you even thinner on the defensive line. Cause it's basically just Devon Godshaw and, and really, you know, nobody else, Taco Charlton, you know, gets another sack today, but not really stout against the run. That's not his game. So it, there's not a whole lot to be negative about because those are the positions where you're just kind of overmatched and you just deal with it. Uh, so to me, the, the most disappointing thing aside from that is, is the turnovers because, uh, you know, you get a bad fumble by Preston Williams, a horrible interception by Ryan Fitzpatrick right after a fake punt. And they're just they're bad turnovers in the most crucial moments of the game because it's a it's a spot in the game where the Dolphins could have taken a lead with the as far as the interception. And it's a spot in the game where, you know, down, what was it? 17 to 14 at the time, Preston Williams fumbles the ball. And that is the, probably the play that wins the game for Buffalo. Granted, Miami still has a chance at the end. If they can kick the onside, if they can get the onside kick, but the odds of that happening are, are very slim in the. In the flow of the game, that was probably the biggest play of the game. Those are probably the two biggest plays of the game, the interception at the goal line, because that's, that's you know, first and goal from the three, that should be a touchdown. So you're taking seven points off the board there and then fumbling the ball, what, inside your own 30 and the Bills scoring a touchdown out of that. I mean, that's 14 points right there in a game that, Yes, it was decided by 10 points, but it was it's really decided by 3 points and you got a touchdown on an on an onside kick recovery. So 14 points is huge, the two turnovers are huge. You're not I guess you don't care as much if it's Fitzpatrick because he's not any part of the long-term future, but Preston Williams, he he may be part of the long-term future and he's got to be better than that. Unless, of course, you go conspiracy theory and you say well hey, like look at last week's game when the game was on the line, you had a mysteriously bad snap, mysteriously Kenyon Drake drops the ball on a two-point conversion. Unless they're doing this on purpose, you got to be at least a little bit concerned about the the turnovers and the timing of those turnovers.
0: Uh, yeah, it's a little interesting, but I'm I'm not going to go into these kooky conspiracy theories, I'm not going down that rabbit hole with you. I, I it's it's crazy. I'm not
1: saying I I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just saying you know two weeks in a row. <laughs> you know, let's so not forget you're about not the saying... game. Let's not forget about the Dallas game when we drop a touchdown and we fumble inside the five. I
0: mean, it's you're not saying it's, it's you're not saying it's happening, but you're also not saying it's not happening.
1: I'm not. I'm saying if. Like I'm not saying it's happening, but if you know seven eight nine ten years down the line uh Kenyon Drake comes out in like an exclusive interview and says that the coaches told him to fumble the ball or drop the ball in a couple of opportune moments, I'm not gonna be shocked
0: interesting interesting well i like i said i'm I'm not going down that not going down that road with you but We'll, we'll leave it there. If you want to explore that possibility, uh, you want to put, connect the dots and read the tea leaves. I, I'll certainly welcome anybody who wants to do that. What else about this game? I, here's a sneaky positive that I want to mention. The Dolphins allowed only one sack today and it happened on a, a trick play where they, they pitched the ball to Albert Wilson, who was getting ready to make a pass. And he ended up being tackled for a loss and they counted that as a sack. But that was the only sack the Dolphins gave up today. Now, certainly Fitzpatrick was under pressure and he was able to scramble pretty well and get away from it and get out of trouble quite a few times. But you got to prop out the offensive line, at least to some extent, because, hey, they only gave up the one sack and, you know, Fitzpatrick wasn't on the ground the whole day. So that's a sneaky positive out of this game as well.
1: It's one of those things where you you have to – it's one of the reasons that Fitzpatrick is out there because Fitzpatrick is going to make the quick decisions and is also going to understand when he needs to escape and and just in general his escapability. Those are advantages in his game over Josh Rosen, and that's what allows you to evaluate the rest of the offense because – Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't get sacked at all in this game, but I can almost guarantee if Josh Rosen is the quarterback, he's getting sacked at least three times.
0: Yeah, it's certainly one of the positives from uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's point of view. Let me ask you. A question and those are about- drive killers too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime you're tackled for a loss and it sets you back five to seven yards, you lose the down as well. Yeah, it's uh it's a bad situation. I wanna go back to that opening drive of the second half where the Dolphins go all the way down to the field and have on a fourth and one, Dolphins decide to go for it on four well, they go for the fake field goal and Matt Hawk gets a two-yard run to give the Dolphins a first and goal, uh, which eventually leads to the Dolphins giving up uh an interception, uh, an incredible interception, as as it was by uh, by Buffalo, but Dolphins end up getting no points out of it. What do you make of the decision to go to go for the fake field goal there on fourth down as opposed to just taking the points at the end of that big long drive? In
1: in general, I'm a person that believes that you don't chase points; you you take the points that you can get as the game goes on and you don't start chasing points until you have to. Um, So in general, in that situation, I'm a take the points guy, but I thought one, look, the dolphins don't move the ball very often and they're not exactly a big playoff. And so they're not going to have a lot of opportunities to score a touchdown. And you're talking about essentially a fourth in inches. I thought it was weird that we had to blow a timeout because they wouldn't measure. That was weird.
0: Yeah, that's a really, strange you know, and Brian
1: thing. Flores is calling for the measurement because he wants to know, he wants to see how far we are. That's a routine coaching move that I've seen in the NFL for as long as I can remember that when you have a fourth and short, instead of burning a timeout, the coach says, Hey, let's call for a measurement, you know, and let's see how far we are. And it's kind of a, you know, it also gives you kind of a de facto timeout and, the refs refused to give us the measurement, which I thought was very weird. But that said, I think it was a 50-fit. I could, you could totally make the argument for going for it. And I think that's one of those 50-50 calls. I think when you're 0 and 5 and, uh, you've got nothing to lose, it, it, you're, the nature is to be more aggressive. So the nature is you, you go for it. And I think the way that they did it, I think was kind of brilliant because I think I've got no, one of the reasons that I would kick the field goal in that spot is because I have no faith that on a fourth and inches, we're going to line up and just out physical the other team and get it. I mean, I feel like we go for that just straight up, you know, bring in the jumbo package and we run Kalen Balaz straight ahead. There's no way we're getting it, but they do it in a way where not only is it, you know, do you, are you catching the Bills off guard? But the Bills have to be very careful in that spot because it's fourth in inches. It's not fourth in goal, so they got to be careful. They can't afford to jump off sides, getting too antsy. So they're not going after the punt block. So it's really a brilliant call to go to go uh, fake field goal there, and it worked. uh So I thought it was a really great call. Um, even if I even if myself, I would have been more inclined to take the points, and I'm certainly not going to blame Brian Flores for a call that worked, and then on the next play, Ryan Fitzpatrick throws an interception. I mean, you can't right. blame that on the coach. that's Absolutely. all on Fitzpatrick,
0: sure, and obviously in hindsight, if honestly, process...
1: that's the best thing that could have happened in that situation because sure. you're like that's awesome. We picked up the fourth down. We kind of, we, we did something that kind of shows that we're growing as a football team. And then on the next play, we, we didn't get any points.
0: Yeah. And obviously in hindsight, the Dolphins, if they had kicked the field goal there, those three points would have come in handy later in the game, but obviously hindsight is 2020 and uh the Dolphins of course, didn't go for it or they, they, They didn't kick the field goal. They didn't take the points. They ended up throwing the interception and they end up losing the game 31 to 21. So there was Fitzpat, uh, there was Fitzmagic, but not quite enough or it was actually just the right amount of Fitzmagic because the Dolphins looked okay, but the Dolphins still lost and they're still on track to pick up. The first pick in the NFL draft. And of course, the person that everybody believes the Dolphins are going to end up with in the NFL draft is Tuga- Tua Tungavailoa, who was injured in Alabama's victory over Tennessee this week. And, uh, there was, there was, a it was really interesting Saturday night on Twitter because Dolphins Twitter is typically a dumpster fire, but this was even more of a dumpster fire because people just, Lost their damn minds over Tua's injury to his ankle here. They, you know, suddenly half of the internet was saying, well, that's it. You can't use this draft pick on Tua anymore. He's, he's hurt. There's, you can't do it. He's, uh, injury prone. He's, he's prone to injuries. And this is just not a guy that you can take a risk with, with the number one pick in the draft. And this is all mind you happening before we have any kind of official diagnosis. He he rolls his ankle. The word out of Alabama from Nick Saban is that it was a high ankle sprain. Uh, he's going to miss next week's game, but they expect him to be fully back and ready to go for Alabama's game against LSU in a couple of weeks. And so it appears that there's a major bullet dodged and everything is going to be okay and Tua is going to be fine. But Brand, did you did you see any of this happening on Saturday? Did you get wind of it and do you feel that somehow Tua is injury prone and not worth the risk? Um I
1: just saw the replay. Uh I didn't watch it live. Uh as far as him being injury prone? No, I I don't really necessarily buy that. Uh I I think it would have been more concerning if he had injured the same ankle, but he injured the opposite ankle. If he injures the same ankle, then you're wondering, you know, did it ever fully heal? Is there like a degenerative issue there? Is there something in that ankle that is, you know, problematic? He injured the opposite ankle. So now people are going to say, well, he's just built, you know, he's just fragile or whatever, but he's going to miss a week or two. It'll be interesting to see how he heals and how he plays in a big test against LSU in a couple weeks, if he is indeed ready for that LSU game. Um, but you know what it reminds me of? Granted, it, it different sport, but it reminds me of Steph Curry. At the beginning of Steph Curry's career, he – missed a lot of time with multiple injuries to his ankles. And that was one of the big – that was really the main reason that the Golden State Warriors were able to get Stephen Curry on such a team-friendly deal when he became a restricted free agent a few years into being in the league was because he had that label of being injury prone. He had missed a lot of games with ankle injuries. Then they signed him to that contract. And then he went on to become the Steph Curry that we now know today, which he's still, he, you know, he's tweaked that, that ankle a couple of times, but ultimately he's been one of the best players in NBA history. Uh, and he, he's one of the best players in the league for the past, what, five years now. So, I don't think going back to Tua, I don't think that it's necessarily fair to call him injury prone. Uh It's just, you know, ankle injuries happen and they it's <laughs> these, these kinds of things happen. And it's not like it happened in the kind of way where you don't see guys get hurt. I mean, a guy wraps up his ankle, you know, when he's scrambling, that's how you, that's how you get an ankle injury. So um, I don't think it's a reason to downgrade him, Um, but what I want to see is when he comes back, how he plays when he comes back, because last year he did not play particularly well at the end of the season when he had the similar injury to his other ankle uh he he didn't have a great game against georgia in the s e c title game he didn't play he didn't have a terrible game in the in the national championship game but he didn't play particularly well in the championship game either so the question is what does Tua look like when he's not a hundred percent is he overly dependent on his mobility even though we obviously we see that He's got pocket presence. He gets the ball out quick. He's got pinpoint accuracy and he's got a knowledge for the game and all all that. But when he's playing at less than a hundred percent, is he able to still play at an effective level? Because most of the quarterbacks, most of the elite quarterbacks in this league at one point or another have had to play when they're not a hundred percent and the best figure out a way to play well in spite of that. And is he able to do that? I don't think it's necessarily something that is like the number one trait or, or even a top three or four trait for, for a quarterback when I'm evaluating them and I'm deciding, you know, when we're deciding, is this the guy that, that is going to be the franchise guy? But it's, it's something to look at.
0: We'll keep an eye on Tua when he comes back because he is going to come back, which is the very positive news for Alabama and, of course, also for the Dolphins. So we'll keep an eye on it. Although one last parting thing on that is you have a lot of people who are Tua critics who say, well, he's just a system guy and, you know, he's got so much talent around him and that's why he looks so good. Well, look at what Alabama's offense looked like when Tua was not in that game. It was a little bit of a mess and it took, you know, thank goodness for them that they were up against a pretty terrible, uh, Tennessee team because otherwise that game might not have turned out as well as it did for Alabama. So just, uh, yeah, you know,
1: who's a system guy? The guy that two are replaced who is now in Oklahoma.
0: Oh, Jalen Hurts. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, because look at what Jalen Hurts was doing as the quarterback of Alabama and it really wasn't impressive. And the thing that was holding Alabama back was the fact that they didn't have a great quarterback and their offense went from mediocre to elite as soon as Tua took over. And now people are talking about Jalen Hurts as a Heisman candidate because he's in Oklahoma playing in that offense. And it's not to take anything away from Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts might be good enough to be drafted and might be good enough to be a quarterback in the NFL. But Tua is head and shoulders better than him and all you've got to do is look at the impact that Tua made on this Alabama team taking over from Jalen Hurts so uh the the argument that Tua is somehow a system guy and that he should be blamed for the talent around him I think is a really weak argument I think it's hard to necessarily put too much stock into what he's doing in games against inferior opponents but when he plays LSU, when he plays Georgia later in the season, if he plays Clemson or whoever, when they go up against and you know a really good defense, that's when it's very it's fair to that's when you're going to get your best read on the type of quarterback that he is. But I mean, to call him a system guy is just it, it's just. It's reaching for something and it's it's being it's it's guys that have that are trying to be contrarian is what it is.
0: Yes, it is. And there are a lot of people out there that are just trying to have opposing takes because they're just trying to go against the grain. Uh, We saw on Twitter there's a prominent anti-tank Twitter account that I'm sure some of you are aware of. And this person was out there today cheering for the Jaguars to defeat the Cincinnati Bengals. And so it's like these people who are somehow trying to find reasons to undermine the idea that Tua is the clear best quarterback in the upcoming class and should be the number one draft pick. The people who are against that, I I put them sort of in the same camp as these people who are just so vehemently anti-tank that it's like, I I can't even imagine a reason why you would want the team to win three or four games this season. I don't understand... What the benefit of that would be long term. I can understand certainly it gives you something to cheer for in the moment. Okay. The team has won. Winning is great. You, you obviously, you always want your team to win when you're sitting there watching. But when you step back and look at it from the, the wide view and take a big picture view, I just don't understand why you would be actively wanting to cheer for something that is bad for your team and cheering for the Cincinnati Bengals to lose games so that the Dolphins don't end up with the number one pick is such a troll move. It is just absolutely absurd. And it's just, I'm not even going to converse with those kinds of people anymore uh, that are just clearly doing it because it's a troll. And that is what this this one character is. I'm not even going to drop his name because it's just not worth it. Um, yeah, that's total waste that's, of time. It's just that's ridiculous. A, a I mean, sticker.
1: I understand, you know, rooting for your team to win. I get that. And even if that means, you know, they don't get the number one pick, I get. I can understand somebody that says, "Look, I root for my team to win every single game and if that means we don't get the number 1 pick, that's fine. I don't want us to be the worst team in the league." I understand that, even if I don't agree with it. To root for another team that you have no allegiance to and no you don't and you're only rooting for that team to do something that does not benefit Your favorite team, that's at that point, that's that's kind of uh, that that calls your your fandom into question because at that point you are rooting for something that has no benefit to your team. You can argue that rooting for the Dolphins to lose is rooting for the best thing for the Dolphins because if we get the number one pick, that's the best thing that could happen for this team long term. You can argue that rooting for the Dolphins is the best thing that could happen for this team because winning games is never a bad thing. But to argue that rooting for another team to win so that they get a better p- pick than the Dolphins is good. I just don't understand that.
0: Yeah. If you really want to know who this person is, I send us a tweet at Samuel Dolphins. I'll point them out to you. But I just don't understand why you would even bother with it. The guy's a complete waste of space as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for this episode of the same old Dolphins show. We're going to be back a little bit later this week to preview our nationally televised Monday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's the next game for the Miami Dolphins. going to be a good one, I think, hopefully. We'll see. Brain, tell the people where they can find you. you. Can
1: find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. I am, of course,
0: at Amplified to Rock. The show is at Same Old Dolphins. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins. Don't forget that every episode of the Same Old Dolphin Show is available on dolphinstalk.com as well. And if you haven't yet, we invite you to please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five star rating. Leave us a positive review. It really helps. A, it really helps the show. So we hope that you'll all take some time to do that. And the show is also available anywhere you get your podcasts: uh, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all over the place. If uh, if there's some place where you get your podcasts where we're not currently available, let us know. We'll do what we can to get on that platform. And uh, yeah, so that you can easily access the show. That's going to wrap us up for this one. We'll talk to you again later this week as we get ready to preview a big Monday night game to see if the Dolphins go 0-7 or if they somehow manage to notch their first win of the season. Whatever the case is, we will be here on the same old Dolphins show. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other, and we will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins! off the